Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Betrayal at the King Power Stadium and upheaval at Stamford Bridge as the last days of Jose Mourinho seem upon us. Or are they? That's what we're going to be talking about on this, the midweek preview show of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Farley. Thank you very much for joining us. And by us, I mean Lawrence McKenna, my longtime co-host and one of the newer voices on the show, Nimpun Chopra. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk about the weekend's fixtures, nine matchups heading into Monday's game, the headliner, Arsenal hosting Manchester City. But for now, let's talk about the news that's covering all the broadsheets and tabloids in England. Lawrence, what's the fervor like in London right now? According to our co-host Kartik, who is traveling through there on the way to India, everybody is a little bit preoccupied with the special one. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> which yeah, which doesn't exactly make you happy, probably. I'm so bored of it. Um, f- today, all, all I was surrounded by was people going, there's a meeting, you know. And then the next minute, they, they sort of went, I don't think they're actually meeting. I think they're having a Skype session. <laughs> and then, and then, and then there, there was so they're just recording a podcast like we are. Well, this is the thing. There was a discussion then whether they'd use Skype or Google Hangout and whether they'd accidentally make it like some sort of public Google Hangout and then people could just log in and out. <laughs> it was just, it was, uh, frankly, no news is good news in, uh, in Chelsea land. But the problem is that no news is also good news for journalists because it means they can just sit around and go, you know, I think he's having a meeting. The problem is we don't know if this is a, if the board meet every week on mm. a Tuesday or a Wednesday or, a, you know, like yeah. we don't know. That's a re- that's um, a really good point because through the first couple of days of this week we had Jose's mar- reaction on Monday in the wake of Chelsea losing two one at the King Power Stadium and then it seemed like t- forty eight hours of speculation in Poon until we finally seemed to have some hard news today. Various sources, the Times maybe the most credible one, although there were a number out there that cited actual sources, anonymous of course. But saying that people were talking about Jose Mourinho and his viability for the job, so kind of to hit on. Lawrence's implicit point, do we have anything new to talk about, or is it just another round of speculation regarding Mourinho's job? It's just another round of speculation because talking about it, it would be I think the real conversation we should have is the fact that if they weren't talking about his job at this moment, you would be serious? talking about not talking about it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about not talking about his right. job. Uh it would be really depressing as a Chelsea fan if if his position isn't at least being considered or at least some changes being made, whether it's changes in the way he attracts personnel or actually he doesn't make those decisions we know at Chelsea. But uh, if they aren't having those decisions, that's the real story. So to me, it's mostly a non-story until we get 
some sort of conversation as far as a real link to him leaving. Because I think everyone, all of us in different podcasts have said that this time is coming, but it's been put off. And is it finally changing? As you start the episode... Is it? I don't know. Well, I mean, is that, everything does change, obviously, in time. Things will change. Yeah. Today, I spoke with a, a, a Chelsea fan for another podcast, and that Chelsea fan said, everyone is 100% behind Mourinho. And then I said, yeah, but would you back Carlo Ancelotti? And they said, well, I'll back anyone who's in blue. <laughs> and I sort of thought, you know what? Like this, it, Just like they backed Rafa this... Benitez, right? Well, no, that was a right. different question. Um, <laughs> that was a different shade of blue. That was a very different shade of red. And then the, the problem the problem with that was that then they said, well, you know, we're 100% behind it. But then, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, I never get when fans go, well, we, you know, we're 100% behind uh, whoever it is. And it, I, don't, I don't understand that. But because- you, you kind of get it in this sense because Mourinho has such a special place in the history of this club and he's established that connection with the fans. But then you hear about a couple, well, one alternative that I think is very viable that the Telegraph is reporting this evening that, you know, the old standby Goose Heating will be called in and he'll probably win the FA Cup with them and just like he did before. <laughs> and then this offseason, Diego Simeone will be targeted to come over from Atletico Madrid. And when I saw that report, I scratched my head for half a second before going, yeah, no, that sounds like a very Chelsea scenario. Now I'm now I think Jose's actually doomed. But that's exactly what you're saying there is that, that this is a Chelsea scenario, and that's terrible that you're saying this is a Chelsea scenario. What you should what we should be saying is what great longevity this multi-billionaire has built up at this club. Not look at all the short-term angst that's going on today. And I think that's the biggest problem is that we're talking about Jose, but that's almost a whole distraction to everything else that's more important at the club. They're not fielding any youth. They've got a lot of players who aren't happy there. They've paid so much money for all these players. They've Just a, ri- a ridiculous list of problems that you expect after a decade that an owner with so much money and what seemed like a clear vision for the kind of football he wanted would have at least implemented by now. But the fact is that actually Abramovich, for all his success, is actually a bit of a failure of an owner. Ooh. But is he, though? I mean, I, I'm, I, I see what you're saying. Okay, so look at it this way. I mean, he's totally changed. In some ways, he's changed Brit, um, uh, British football. He has single handed make him success. No, no, but but let's let's look at his legacy. We're talking about whether or not he's a success, right? Chelsea has been the most successful European team in the last ten years in in England by far. I mean, of course, the the bar is set pretty low, but they're consistently the best. Uh, um, Manchester United and- made three finals and won one in the last ten years, but. I, I see what you're saying. Like Chelsea has yeah. had a run of form that makes them on one level an unquestioned success. But then the point would also be, someone said this to me before I started a show the other day. They said, oh, I just look at the league table. And I literally turned <laughs> to him and was like, then why do you do, why, why the hell are you here? Like your job doesn't matter then. <laughs> so, because when an analyst turns to you and says, well, I just like, does anyone in history ever remember things? And I was like, that's the whole point of you being a journalist is that you're journaling things so that we <laughs> get more from this. You're writing a journal of the things that happen. Otherwise, every week, the newspaper would just be the table. And then we wouldn't need this podcast or anything else. Well, and that's the whole point about that. Mourinho's viability right now is based on people remembering beyond this year. If people didn't remember things, Mourinho would already be fired. So that seems like a little strange way to look at things. Uh, but Nipun, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, can we in some ways look at um, Chelsea's legacy in the last 10 years since Abramovich took over as the, the Real Madrid model where it's been used in 
throw away, essentially. And unfortunately, as much as I hate to admit it, it has been a success in those terms. But I get what you're saying, Lawrence. It's not that Chelsea's bringing through players. I mean, their most highly touted talent was Josh McEachern, and I I have no idea where he is now. So in that sense... Well, lost his cheek, but... Yeah, okay. But even even then, I can answer that, though. But even then, I can answer that. Because in the past, people say, well, the winner gets to write history. Because at the time people chronicling those things or whatever you know there was very limited space a very limited amounts of people journaling that now there's unlimited amounts of people there's a chelsea fan channel the liverpool fan channel so your success is it's it's fantastic that you're saying that chelsea is successful but at the same time how many times do people and how many times when someone says oh we won the league do people go no you bought the league oh every year now so so how much success is that because uh, when people go, like, people are like, oh, football's about the bragging rights. It's about this, it's about that. And, you know, I learned so much. And I think, you know, a lot, I think we've got a terrible cocktail of the past, which was your club is your identity. Like you, you travel with all those people, the people out on the pitch represent you. And suddenly they're disconnected and there's no one on the pitch that represents them, but they still feel utterly connected to the idea of being part of Chelsea Football Club. And this billionaire has just flown in completely rebranded everything changed it to a club that defines itself by success which it didn't do in the same way when he bought the club even though they talk about being in the champions league at that time they weren't winning it and so it's completely changed the timeline and narrative and all the things all the nuances that are important so essentially it's just a premier league rule by tyranny but the, but what you're talking about aren't things in a vacuum. I think what you're referring to, Lawrence, are things about that have changed in football across the board, not just at Chelsea. And it's uh, it's amazing to me that I'm the one defending Chelsea as much as I. But I don't understand. It. I don't understand why why it's why it's a criticism. Why it seems a criticism that I'm saying like look at more than just the league table. Oh no, we should. I'm just saying it, it's more than. Just Chelsea, though. The things that you're outlining is true of Man United, it's true of Liverpool, it's true of every club, really, in the Premier League. It's the fact that... Go ahead. Well, but but, the, but it's, it is... That's the problem, is that actually there was the, yeah. there's hegemony to go before that. But with Chelsea, there is... The, the, the biggest problem for them is that it happened in such a short space of time. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. What I'm getting from what Lawrence is saying, too, is that Abramovich in the present, in the recent past, has fueled unprecedented success for this club. But what has he built mm-hmm. for tomorrow? Like Lawrence is saying, not very many of the youth academy products that tend to right. be kind of disproportionately touted because of the fervent nature of Chelsea's new fan base. They're not breaking into the team. They have no stability as a coach. Uh, with with their manager, their squad is aging. They don't have players that are coming in. A lot of the players that they do buy end up going out on loan, maybe never seeing full uh, a full season with the senior team. So whereas a team like Manchester City has spent prodigiously, there is a kind of this admirable continuity to it if you're into continuity. But one of the reasons people should be into continuity, Nimpun, is that it it kind of builds for tomorrow. Yeah, and City has done a good job, right? They've they've invested in their youth academy. They've invested in uh, in a new um, a youth stadium. In fact, if I remember, youth facilities and youth stadium that they're building and will be ready in the next three or four years. So, there's truth to what you're saying. There, there's a difference in the way what City is doing now versus what Chelsea did in 2005, 2006, where they literally just bought a new team. Yeah, so I I see what you guys are saying. My overall point is that some of the criticism that we are leveling to Chelsea uh, might be more of how we feel as as maybe old school fans about the things we loved about football. But we see that changing across the board, I think. 
I, I don't know. I feel like there's Chelsea set themselves a yardstick and there's a lot of people looking for authenticity and those kind of things. And I feel like Mourinho bought a lot of that authenticity because of his yeah. background, all those things. But now that those things are essentially being taken away, it's very hard to fill that with something that actually has any meaning apart from, oh, look at this Russian that did this. Yeah, and and it's good. that that's really empty. And that leaves you with a really horrible feeling that, uh, wait, what, uh, I know, almost like a, like when you realize Santa's not real, almost. <laughs> or you what? realize, or you realize, any ten years of your life are replaceable with any other ten years. Like these, this decade of Chelsea becoming a prominent team at the top of the English Premier League table. Well, another team is going to be a prominent team in the next ten years. Your ten years that you thought were special, they're not special. There are no special ten years. Right. Wow, Suddenly we got really you're existential alone in your here. bedroom, talking uh, into a mic, and just yeah. <laughs> two other guys in America. And... <laughs> And let's, you don't know what's happened okay, in those be, 10 years. Before, uh, before the Lawrence breaks out the on. razors, let's talk about so, – <laughs> I want to talk about two things that actually seem to change the story this week. And I want to ask you guys why they changed the story because I, I just don't quite get it. The first thing is the actual result from Monday. We had a team that was one point above the drop go to a team that went to the top of the table and lose 2-1. to one. Napoon, I don't understand why that should change Chelsea's story. Why – is a team that's struggling, unable to win on the road at one of the best teams in the league, a game changer in this narrative? I think the biggest reason, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence, uh, biggest reason, Ooh, Richard, is that ow. one of the yeah, you've already been replaced in my mind, Richard. Uh, but it's not close <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, I think the big big reason for me is that one of the big. Uh, defense that Chelsea has had of the the way they've been playing and Chelsea supporters have had is that they've been fairly um was fairly devoid of creativity and devoid of um the kind of the kind of players that Leicester has had in in informed players like Leicester has had so i think in that sense when you see what Leicester did to them uh in in that game for me it's a it's it's a point of contention almost to bring back the idea that Chelsea is in the relegation zone. It's, it's just surprising, I guess. And I cannot make sense of why Chelsea it is, is where they are. And a lot of us are trying to make sense of it. And, and as you and I discussed when we reviewed the game, the big issue for us is that Mourinho doesn't know. So none of us are really being able to put our finger on it. I, I, think, such he, I, a I think he knows. I think he said it today. The players are just playing bad. Sometimes it's just that. You look at these players, they're not good right now. Yeah. I think that's not what you're paying them for. Right. And that's not what you pay for. You pay for consistency and you don't pay for them to be, well, at least professionals. Yeah, I think Mm Cesc Fabregas would agree with you, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, the the irony of Cesc being the one that said that. At least least he's being humble like Mourinho has asked him to and kind of looked at himself and asking his teammates to look at themselves. Lawrence, I want to ask you about this next one because... I'll go ahead and confess my bias here. I was really annoyed by the treatment of this. Mourinho, after the game, in his interview at King Power Stadium, said that he felt betrayed by his players, saying that the tactics that he had implemented before the match weren't implemented. He didn't name specific names, but it seemed like he was talking about Cesar Azpilicueta allowing uh, Raheem Mahrez to, to shoot on his left foot for the second goal, and the team allowing Raheem Mahrez to cut back on his left foot for the cross that went for Jamie Vardy's goal. I want to get your thoughts on that because, well, mostly I'm hoping that you can shed some light on why people were so upset about somebody who's for whom English is a second language not quite getting the use of the word betrayed 100% correct. Uh, did, did he look confused when he said betrayed? Because I think... He said betrayed uh, and, then he, and then he said something along the lines of, if that's the right word. 
Yeah, but he knew it. I think his that's, grasp of English is big enough to know. Right. That's the question. Threat. Is this is this just Mourinho but, being that devious? Uh, part. I mean, part. I mean, he does. He has a great relationship with a lot of journalists. I think Henry Winter said, you know, he knew that the word as soon as he heard the word betrayed, he knew that Fleet Street was like, okay, yes, Jose, let me go away. And but the the problem would also be you can say things like, and maybe you know, this is another use of English. My legs betrayed me. Uh, or you know my right. words betray me so you right. feel a little bit let down but maybe you feel a little ill-equipped almost so or you're not the, necessarily blaming the words or blaming the item the players blame- the players betrayed my plans is another way that he could have said that yeah and I, and so i'd imagine it's more along that line in that you know uh, essentially they didn't do my plan it, um but it, it's just such an interesting word to use because of you know the idea of a mutiny that is possibly going on at uh, stanford bridge it, and you can, I can also see as much as you're talking about Henry Winter, imagining those typewriters, cause Henry's not a young guy, imagining those typewriters going off on Fleet Street. I can also see the Chelsea locker room just shaking their head and going, this is why we hate the media. This is why we have this disdain for the coverage because they'll take this one word and they'll just blow it out of proportion and try to use it against us. And it's still Chelsea against the world because look what they're doing with that. Nipun, what, what well, are you, the Belgian media has done that. The Belgian media has? Apparently, the Belgian media uh, today was was saying, uh, making it very very clear that Hazard had betrayed Jose. Hmm, perhaps, hmm. Uh, gentlemen. I I want to draw one other parallel here before we go to break. A few years ago, last year, Rafa Benitez, we saw Liverpool fall out of the top four, what we thought was an impenetrable top four at the time. And then two years ago, we saw Manchester United do the same thing in the first not full year of David Moyes. When are we going to get used to the idea that these teams at the top aren't aren't granted a spot, aren't just allowed a spot infallible. at the top? Yeah, why they're infallible, they're indestructible. Nimpun, when are we going to get used to the idea that this old big four model, that in fairness had been the big four for years, right. when are we going to get used to the idea that that's antiquated? I think we are getting used to the idea that that's antiquated. When you, I mean, Leicester City is a perfect example of that. Uh, we've had other examples in the last three or four years of teams making a run into out of nowhere. Southampton being in third place, I think, as late as October last year and maybe November last year. So I think we are getting used to that, but it's a little bit different because how late this Leicester City story is going. Having said that, even though we are getting used to the fact that that the technical, you know, traditional first four idea is antiquated, at the end of the day. Will the same front four end up in top four? Maybe Chelsea won't be there, but it will still probably be one of it'll be four of Man United, Chelsea, uh, Man United, Liverpool, uh, maybe Spurs, Arsenal, and City. So, how outdated is it as a whole season? But I think it is outdated as far as as soon as the season starts, we predict the four right out of the back, which is always wrong. And Lawrence, you've seen the trouble Liverpool has had reasserting itself in the top four the one year Rodgers took them to second place now looks like it was a best case scenario as they're now struggling to crack that top four do you see anything in Chelsea that reminds you of that fall that Liverpool had under Benitez and then Hodgson well uh I I I guess what I see in that is the um the temporary nature of a lot of the problems but the fact that when something terrible happens it seems so permanent when something brilliant happens it can seem so fleeting and maybe between there's there's some sort of happy medium between the two um and actually how quickly things have changed at liverpool under Klopp is ridiculous so 
you know, I, I think Liverpool fans are very aware of the, how quickly things come and go at the moment because, you know, it went for 20 years um, and then came back for a little and then went for another five or however long. So, you know, the, I think uh, it also depends on your perspective. And I think Chelsea fans and I think Chelsea as a club saw and internally see themselves as somewhat of a an infallible uh, body. And I think uh, other clubs have different approaches, slightly more down-to-earth ones maybe. Had to take a break after that one. Lawrence, I'm just now remembering how before I joined the show, when it was just you and Kartik doing it together for a while, how I used to think you were... Please don't say it like that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when it was just you and Kartik doing the podcast for a while. <laughs> I used to think that you were in your early 40s because you had this perspective on things that was so much broader and so much more philosophical than somebody like me. At that time, I was in my early 30s. and I, was, I thought it was so great that Kartik was working with this venerable man from England who could provide <laughs> a, a completely different perspective from our detached, detached Americanisms. Um, it was so sweet of Kartik at the time to do that charity work. <laughs> <laughs> he was really patronizing you the whole time. Yeah, uh, it really was. We're going to jump back into England in a second, but there's another big story that has... I hate to even approach it like that because it's another issue where we're not sure if this is a story or not, Nimpoon. We have seemingly some news from Pep Guardiola about his future at Bayern Munich and his potential future at Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, who knows. But the news is only that he's going to have an announcement next week. He and the club are going to have an announcement during the winter break. But of course, we have reports on both sides of this now. Some people saying he's gone. Some people saying he's going to sign a two-year extension. What's your read on it? My read is that I think it's more likely that he will stay. Uh, I know Lawrence is, uh, has a different opinion on this, uh, but I think for for Guardiola, he, he's he's done a terrific job at Bayern. He came into a job that one of the toughest jobs anyone could ever have, coming on the background, uh, the, on the back of a treble winning season, uh, and has made Bayern play in a slightly different way. Uh, in my opinion, Guardiola is the best manager in the world right now. Uh, I know he has some detractors who say stuff like, oh, what? when is ever hasn't had great players? Which is, a, I mean, kind of a silly argument uh, when you consider that, that the fact that he hasn't managed at a, different, at a lower club doesn't mean that he wouldn't succeed at a lower club. Anyway, the point being, I think with Guardiola, I think he will stay at least for another season. Uh, maybe it won't be a two-year co- contract, but he has everything at Bayern right now. Uh, maybe that's the only thing that will w- make him want to move on, kind of like at Barcelona. He might have just felt that th- this, it isn't enough of a challenge. So that's the only reason I can see him leaving. Mm, we lost about 30. Well, we didn't lose it, but we had Skype gremlins crumble some of your answer there, but we we got most of it. Lawrence, yeah. um, Guardiola... You didn't miss much. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence Guardioli, why don't you tell us about talk to us about the nature of coaches and the underlying fallacy of changes in the modern football world? I would love to, Richard, uh, but I, you don't give me enough time. Um, so, where's Guardiola going to head next? I guess is the the big question. Uh, most people in Germany assume it's England for good reason, probably um, because Guardiola stated that he would like to go to the UK. Apparently, a lot of people close to the club. Uh, people like Raphael Honigstein and people like that have been writing articles. Um, and there are other people who believe that Pep will move on come the end of the year. I think a lot of people um, believe that it also probably, like you say, is not enough of a challenge in many ways for Pep. 
the interesting, I mean, the interesting thing for Pep is Pep could coast, coast for his entire career, just picking places he wants to go, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but he, ha he obviously hasn't done that, even though some people, uh, some people seem to think that it's easy to coach a high end team. Um, and that it's just, you right. just kind of get there. You just kind of turn up, but anyone who <laughs> even played a like half an hour football manager knows how difficult it is to even do that. <laughs> So I, I don't think that he, you know, I, I don't underestimate him. I think he's, I think he's perfectly capable. I guess the question for me is what he's looking for as a challenge next. Right. Is he looking to build something that's his own? Is he looking to work with someone like Arsene Wenger, which will clearly not be just his own project? Is he looking to shape a Man City-esque kind of thing? Or will he do the normal thing that he normally does, which is go uh, to a Louis van Gaal team a few years after Louis left? Hmm. Um, so... You know, I think there's there's a lot. He has he has big choices, and then he also obviously has the choice of would he go to Chelsea, where he will just you know he'll be venerated because it, they basically Roman tried to build the club for him, mm. and then you know in many ways the outsider of Mourinho came in and filled that void. Um, again, uh, and you know they're still not neither body is still fulfilled, um, and so yeah yeah I think there's a lot there for Guardiola to pick over and work out where he wants to go where do you guys think i i personally would i would go against um i'd go against going to city i go to united i would love for him to go to united because we could then be left in a uh, world where liverpool has jurgen klopp chelsea might have diego simeone uh, manchester city keeps manuel pellegrini and manchester united has pep Guardiola. now if you were to make Unless a list have Ranieri. there you go <laughs> And well, and Arsenal still has Arsene Wenger. Now, if you were to make a list of the top twelve or ten head coaches in the game, England's going to have a lot of them on that list at that point. Uh, I think that's something Lapuna and I were talking about last week. Maybe another Guardiola, another Klopp, a Simeone would help solve some of the mediocrity we've been complaining about at the top of England's table. How uh, many of those guys are ex-Barcelona there? I'm not sure. A fair few, but Klopp, really, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the top guys at the moment all came out of that Barcelona school. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it's almost as if they have a huge effect on modern football. We'll have to look into that. <laughs> Gen gentlemen, let's go to this weekend's action of the Premier League, the 17th round of the season. It starts on Saturday with West Bromwich Albion hosting Bournemouth, Stoke City, Crystal Palace, Everton hosting Leicester City, Manchester United welcoming Nor Norwich City, Chelsea is hosting Sunderland, Southampton hosting Tottenham Hotspur, and in the late game on Saturday, Aston Villa is visiting Newcastle. Two matches on Sunday with Liverpool going to Watford and Swansea City welcoming West Ham United. And then on Monday, the big match of the weekend, Arsenal hosting Manchester City. Unfortunately, we're not going to talk about that one at all because the three of us are going to be back <laughs> on Sunday and we have four whole segments to fill and we're going to need that one to fill one of them. But when you look at the fixture list for this weekend, the relegation fight really takes center stage. We're talking about three matches that really jump out between potential relegation uh, battlers. West Brom hosting a resurgent Bournemouth. Newcastle resurging themselves, hosting Aston Villa, Chelsea versus Sunderland. Nipun, I want to start with you because when we were going through our notes, you noted how funny or I guess some people would call this ironic, but it certainly is strange that Chelsea, the defending champions, are now amongst these relegation battlers. And it's not even a question about whether they should be here. They just are here. It, it's just every time we talk about Chelsea and a relegation battle, I, I always chuckle because it just seems so absurd and it's happening every week every week i wrongly predict that it will change and it doesn't i'm going to predict again that it's going to change and it's because uh the reason i predict that is because Mourinho has never lost to allardyce uh i think he um 
Chelsea's won 18 out of 21 against Sunderland. Uh, so I'm going to predict again that Chelsea's going to win this. Uh, but let's be honest. I mean, you cannot put anything past this Chelsea team right now. It is absolutely possible that they drop points in this game and, and end uh, Allardyce's uh, losing run against Mourinho. Lawrence, two clubs with two match winning streaks, Newcastle hosting Aston Villa, Bournemouth with the tougher challenge going to visit West Bromwich Albion, a team that has put together four straight results, six points, I believe, in those four games. The likelihood of those two teams pushing their win streaks to three. Yeah, I think there's a, there's, um, there's, there's this kind of, I, everyone's obsessed with the managers who have come in and started pressing, but there are actually this kind of body of teams who are not doing that right now. Um, and they're almost anti-pressing. And it's really it's really entertaining to watch because actually they they almost negate uh, what the other team do. But it, instead of us just sort of going, oh well, a lot of people say it's boring. Instead of uh, people just sort of going, oh, it's incredibly boring. It's sort of like, oh, suddenly it's clever because they can kind of, you know, you thought pressing was the ultimate answer, and now it isn't. Um, and the the problem is what happens when uh, two teams meet who everyone likes, uh, and that, that's where Bournemouth come up against West Brom, and then everyone's done because everyone wants Bournemouth to win but West Brom are just blatantly going to come out with a win (laughs) (laughs) I tend to agree with you on that one and then the other game I want to say that Newcastle is going to extend it to three because Aston Villa is terrible but would anybody be really shocked if Remy Gard gets his first win at a Newcastle team that has been wildly inconsistent this season I was going to say I had this conversation today it was like such a Newcastle thing to do that they're like yes got those guys oh the villains yeah, especially especially with a bunch of players that maybe like okay we're gonna we can sit back relax again we're not on edge anymore and then Aston Villa who to their credit have been playing hard lately maybe just outworks them in this one uh, maybe that's a trap game for Newcastle. Can yeah. I really quickly share one of my favorite footballing memories because it includes both these teams? It was uh, eight years ago when uh, Lee Boyer and Karen uh, Karen Dyer actually oh, got boy. into a fist fight. Oh God. Uh, playing for Newcastle uh, against, and both of them at the time were playing for Newcastle. So it, it has been too Amazing. long since we mentioned Lee Boyer on this podcast. So thank you for that, Nipu, your <laughs> contribution as well. Loves the Lee Boyer uh, <sighs> drop. Oh yeah. boy, uh, let's go. Let's talk about the games at the other end of the table. And much like the last two weeks, we're not getting a battle of two teams competing for the title. Probably the most competitive game on the list I just read is Watford versus Liverpool. Again, putting Arsenal versus Manchester City aside for the nine matches this weekend, Lawrence. It again looks like teams are going to be challenged not to slip up and over the last two weekends the teams haven't been rising to that challenge i still don't think that your the slip up thing works because in this league and when it's so competitive i it slip up by the standards of a 2005 team if that makes sense well slipping up is slipping up yeah um, i guess so but then what i'm saying is because of the tactics that Liverpool. Yeah, but also because of the tactics that Liverpool choose to play or because of the tactics that Spurs choose to play, there is, yeah. there's a strong likelihood of them... Or they're coming up. off short rest because of Europa League. They're, they're slip-ups that maybe are explicable, but they're still yeah. slip-ups. I, but I think the, the thing is that this Watford one would be explicable. Absolutely. Uh, because Watford love a good long ball. Um, you know, they've got two strikers up front that are going to boss that Liverpool back line. And... Liverpool's pressing isn't maybe not going to do the job against a side that wants to sit deep. And Liverpool have benefited from essentially being the away team when being away because for some reason people people's perception of the away team is that they'll just sit back, which generally rarely happens. And then uh, the Liverpool Liverpool have you know played the away team essentially. Now Watford are playing the role of the away team but at home 
And Liverpool are going to have to come up against that. And they're going to have to, the challenge is going to be break them down. And then you come up against Dini and Igala. What do you do? Yeah, Nipu, let's stick with this one because yep. what, Liver, what um, Lawrence is saying very much masks on to what Liverpool had to deal with at Newcastle or what they had to deal mm-hmm. with when Crystal Palace came to Anfield. And those are a couple of prominent losses lately for Jurgen Klopp's team. So why is this going to be different? Do you expect Liverpool to either play better or learn their lessons? And if they learn their lessons, how likely is it are they going to learn a lesson that deviates from Klopp's approach? Well, I think there's definitely an issue with what Lawrence has raised as far as teams figuring out the pressing or playing, uh, being able to play out of the pressing. And then what does Liverpool do against a team that's not, you know, um, uh, allowing them to play they want to, the way they want to play? But I think there's also issue, other issues <laughs> with Liverpool, uh, some stuff we talk about every week on my other podcast. And uh, some of that includes Mignolet. Some of that includes Lovren, who will be missing for this game. Uh, and then the fact that Sako's coming back kind of from injury. There'll be other issues. And I think the big one for me is the fact that I think Troy Dini and Igalo uh, are one of the most exciting front two uh, li- uh, that the Premier League has seen in a little while that, that play as a front two. Because for a while we've seen a, f- uh, you know, a player playing behind another player uh, or uh, or one up top or stuff like that. So an old school, uh, Troy Dini Egalo is a throwback to old school days of the Premier League. And it's great to see. But ha- again, the thing is that for me, Liverpool is on paper a much better team than Watford. Uh, I think everyone agrees on that. And historically, Liverpool have done well against uh, Watford as well. So I think Liverpool will will edge this one, um, but it won't be a comfortable win, no. Everton versus Stoke, Lawrence. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Everton versus Leicester, Lawrence. Leicester um, coming off, I don't want to say... Um, a landmark win. It's certainly not a landmark win for the reasons that we talked about earlier in the show, but there is something about getting over this hump against a named team in the way that they did when they only drew Manchester United, and now they have to try to salvage that momentum and take it into Goodison Park. It seems like, I mean, not to use a cliche, but this could actually turn into a trap game too if Leicester doesn't bring that same intensity against an Everton team for who, for all of their draws, they've got, I think, the fifth best goal difference in the league. Yeah, and also that, I mean, uh, Robert Huth is out for this game. I think that's a huge note for uh, Leicester in this one because, you know, for such a long time, they've had a very stable system sitting behind the guys. And drink water as well, right? Yeah, I was gonna was gonna move further up the pitch to towards drink water and the fact that the the combination of the two there and you know that the basically the pairs all over the pitch. Yeah. The, you know, the, the twos that people seem to love playing and you know, Mares is fantastic and you know, suddenly everyone's making the conclusion, well Vardy's good because of Mares. Um as if as if a through ball wasn't something that more than one player could play on the pitch. <laughs> and uh I, I, but I still think, uh, you know, if, if they're lacking Huth, then you're looking at Lukaku down the other end of the pitch, and you know, it's, it's incredible what what uh, what he's able to do against a, a backline when he's on form at the moment. So I'm looking forward to seeing all the matchups. I I still sort of think what I'm looking forward to is basically, oh yeah. Uh, Leicester won again. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yes, it seems like that's what we were saying come Monday. Just, oh, of course, this is how it goes. Uh, Stoke versus Crystal. Go ahead. Really Nathan. quickly, let me say, if, if Leicester were to win this game, you guys, uh, they'd be top on Christmas Day. And uh, in the last six years, except for Liverpool, every team that has been top on Christmas at Christmas has won the league. So Ooh. maybe, coming back to something that you talked about last time, Richard, Maybe then we can start talking about them as possible title contenders. Do you think there's something magical about Santa Claus that causes teams to win titles? 
or just having po- more points at that around that time of year. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps. Or maybe it's because the Premier League tends to not have these huge multi-horse races. And usually if you... But race- the other confounding factor is Leicester's om- almost never won against Everton in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go down this list. Uh, Stoke versus Crystal Palace, Manchester United versus Norwich. Those are going to be close games, but also stylistically, they might not be the best watches for you guys this weekend. <laughs> Southampton versus Tottenham, though, even though this seems like a little bit of a mismatch, Southampton is gravitating towards the bottom of the table, Nipun. Tottenham is coming off of their first loss since the first week of the season, but generally have been a strong side. This seems like a game where Tottenham will really want to get three points, not only to get back into the win column, which they have been avoiding quite a lot recently, but yeah. also just as a proof of concept against a team that, while talented, has not been good of late. Yeah, and Pochettino returned to Southampton, a uh, club he managed, and uh, I think the the issue the key battle here will be Southampton uh trying to play down the wing uh and and play the ball to Pele uh and we saw in the last game that Danny Rose can on his day be a terrific def- a fullback and then on on another day completely go missing so it will uh be Danny Rose will have a key role to play in this game both defensively as well as offensively uh and I think with Spurs' defense having done as well as they have, uh, we saw a great montage. I think it was Robbie Masto uh, a couple of weeks ago that showed how well uh, Spurs' defense has been playing um, uh, the offside trap as well as moving together. So as w- uh, with that consideration, I think you have to give, uh, for me, give Spurs the the edge here, and I think they'll win 2 nothing even. Mm-hmm. Really quickly, guys, the match we highlighted most competitive out of that group, Watford versus Liverpool. Nipun, who wins that one? Oh, that that one Liverpool. I got a one-one draw, Lawrence. Uh, I'm superstitious. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, come back on Sunday so we can see if five nil. Is... <laughs> oh, sorry. To Watford. <laughs> to Watford. Oh. So we can see if Lawrence's superstitions hold. But until then, for everybody at World Soccer Talk, for Nimpun Chopra and Lawrence McKenna, I'm Richard Farley, saying enjoy your football. The World Soccer Talk podcast is a production of World Soccer Talk and is executive produced by Christopher Harris and produced by Richard Farley. You can get the podcast a number of different ways, including Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Audioboom, or you can go to worldsoccertalk.com to download the show directly. To get in touch with one of the hosts, you can reach out to them on Twitter. I'm Richard Farley. Kartik is KKFLA737. Lawrence is LOZCAST, Lawscast. And Nipun is Nipun Chopra7. Don't want to bother with Twitter? Go ahead and reach out via email. Richard at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.